Welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. As always, head over to cloudinsiders.fm for show notes and other giveaways. Now let's get into it. Okay, I'm sitting here today with Bob Plumridge, who's the CTO of Hitachi Data Systems, and Gavin Jolliffe who's the CEO and founder of Extrovert. Welcome, gentlemen. Morning. No, good morning. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. And let's dive straight into this discussion about big data and analytics. Bob, can you give us an overview of Hitachi Data Systems and what you do? Sure. Um, we're really a solutions-based company now in the in the IT space. Um, obviously, we're, we're owned by Hitachi Corporation Japan. But we very much specialize in IT solutions, including big data solutions, analytics solutions, and, and solutions all the way down to uh, long-term data storage and uh, archival systems and pretty much everything in between. And really over the last years, we've expanded more into the application space that's been able to support things like SAP HANA, Oracle solutions, uh, cloud solutions, public, private, and hybrid. Uh, more recently, with uh, Microsoft and their Azure solutions, been able to support those. So really, you know, we're pretty much a through and through IT solutions organisation now. Very good, thank you. And Gavin, over to you. Could you give us a little bit of background on Extrovert, seeing as you were instrumental, and uh, and then also your role. Yes, of course. So, uh, so I'm CEO for Extrovert. Extrovert uh, is also a technology company. It's got two divisions. It has a consulting division, uh, which has been uh, running since 2007. It's focused uh, uh, traditionally on IT infrastructure, virtualization, cloud, uh, virtual desktops, mobility. Uh, as the industry has developed and those technologies have developed, we've been architects and integrators uh, helping businesses basically modernize their IT and get best value out of it. We've also got a, uh, a software division and it runs Sonar, which is our SaaS-based uh, IT analytics platform. So uh, that's a positive overview of us. Thank you very much. All right. And uh, now over to you, Bob. What is big data and, and why is it important <laughs> to the industry? Okay, so big data quite often isn't big data. Quite often it's relatively small amounts of data. But really what it, this is all about is companies have been storing more and more data for longer and longer periods of time over the last five or so years. And typically what we've seen is once data gets to sort of three to six months old, it's moved off into an archive, it's kept, but the chances of it ever being looked at again are, are pretty remote. And then somebody thought, you know what, we've got a huge amount of data here on our customers, what they do, um, what they buy, how they buy it, when they buy it, how they use services, how they consume services. So is there information in this huge amount of data that we're holding that would help us as a company become more efficient, offer more services to our customers, encourage uh, long-term loyalty from our customer base. So that was really, I think, where the original thinking came from. So what can we look for in terms of patterns in this data? But I think that's now massively expanded. Uh, maybe a bit later we can talk about the role of uh, big data in healthcare because I, I personally think that's a, a very exciting area. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of innovation in that space in the next few years. Also, we're seeing big data and analytics being used in maintenance, looking at reliability of machines, looking at the predictability of failure of machines. And, and as you may know, Hitachi have been 
hugely involved in that with the, the rail infrastructure projects that we're running here in the UK. And maybe a little later, I can expand on some of the uh, work that we've done there and some of the results we're already seeing from that work. Very good. Um, so maybe now is a good moment to, to jump into that healthcare case study um, in terms of big data that they've been pooling and, and generating and, and also how they're looking to analyse it. So as I'm sure most people know, in the, the NHS here in the UK, they've moved pretty, um, pretty aggressively into the digital age where they're storing data on us as, as patients. Um, and they have to store that data actually by a law now for as long as an individual lives plus five years. So, you know, on average, we're talking about storing healthcare data now for 85 years plus, which in itself presents challenges. But of course, once you start storing data on a, a population of 60 million people, there's all sorts of patterns in there. There's all sorts of information about how diseases occur, where they occur, ages, whether the person's a male, female, what age they are, where they live. So is there are patterns of incidences of certain diseases in certain age groups certain socioeconomic classes, and if there are, what can we do with it? So rather than trying to boil the ocean and look at everything um, straight off, it was decided that um, a relatively small project would, that would be run in the north of England and the Manchester area, looking at data from that specific area with us. And what they wanted to do was focus on three areas, really, and that was the areas of strokes, heart attacks, and diabetes, which, as we all know, are probably the three biggest health problems we have outside of uh, cancers in this country, and, and that's probably true of most, most Western countries, I guess. So what they were looking for is, as I've said, you know, when do these happen? Is there a history in your family of strokes? Did your father have one, your grandfather, whatever it might be? Are you at risk because of that? And if you are, what can we do? Um, how can we find this? How can we look at this and then decide what the, what the treatment may be? So this has been going on for a while now. And of course, there is a, this whole thing of being able to look at a, an individual's lifestyle. And as I say, that pattern of, uh, of problems in a family. And then let's say we can identify an individual. So then what do you do? And why do you want to do it? We were told on average in the UK to treat a stroke victim now costs around £200,000. And that assumes that the victim lives and it also has no real impact on what their life might be like after that stroke. So if you can identify somebody who's at risk, how do you work with them in order to try and prevent that? Can you identify, you know, a poor diet, poor lifestyle, they drink too much, smoke, not get enough exercise, all those things that, that we, we know we should do and often don't. But the difference here really is being able to target it. So instead of doing public service broadcasting to the entire nation saying, get more exercise, eat a better diet. And of course, we all just ignore that. Go to the individual and say to that individual, look, we've identified that you are more at risk because of this, 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 and this. And here's a program that we're willing to work with you on in order to try and prevent you having this problem in 5, 10, 15, 20 years time, whatever it might be. Because the cost of that prevention, on average, is only 10% as opposed to the cost of treatment. And of course, the big gain for you as an individual is that if you don't have that stroke, you're never going to have a problem afterwards. So from what we've seen, there's huge gains and advantages to us as individuals by being able to do things like this. But also, if you look at the bigger picture and you look at it from a, a government point of view, they're having to spend more and more money every year on NHS on, on treating us as the individuals because we live longer and we all know in later life that means more money spent on healthcare 
And we all know that the money spent on healthcare comes from one place, and that comes from tax. So either they have to reduce or, or at least try and flatten out the growth in healthcare spending, or you and I are going to pay more tax. So I think, you know, I'll just use strokes as an example there. But if you then think about cancers, if you think about diabetes, if you think about heart attack, it almost starts to seem that the scope of what's possible here is, is almost endless. And I think it's going to have a huge impact on every single one of us in the very near future. And interesting to hear the, the role that, that the collection of data plays in that and then the, the need to, to analyse it. Throwing this back to you now, Gavin, what's your take on, on what you're seeing in the market, particularly in IT um, and analytics? Bob's case study was, was a, a really good one. It really just emphasises how broad this topic is and, um, and how far it can go and, and why it's becoming so prevalent now as a, as a conversation in the industry. Um, we, we, have a, uh, we have a similar take on the, on, on the drivers um, looking at patterns of information uh, and ultimately, our view on it is really focused on this uh, IT operations analytics, which is something which is starting to, to come to bear in the industry as well. And it comes back to some of the things. So the, the advent of mainstream uh, virtualization and cloud, where your IT could be in different places and it's very dynamic and it, and it changes on a, a weekly, daily, hourly, per second basis. The main challenge that we've seen is that our customers have been talking about lack of visibility and transparency. How do they keep their finger on the pulse, understanding that on, a, on average, indirect costs of suboptimal performance or human error or bad configuration or whatever is potentially up to 30% of your, of your IT operating budget. So if we can get in there, provide that transparency, that visibility, and looking at the patterns and, and the best practices, and effectively starting to provide a level of benchmarking, customers can take those insights, take action, and potentially save themselves a lot of money and avoid you know, system outages or, or performance issues. The classic is that customer says, I've got no red flashing lights, everything seems to be fine, but doesn't actually realize there's an opportunity to save you know, half a million or a million off their operating budget just by adjusting what they do, by bringing that information up and getting it out in a way that they can digest it. We're really interested in the moving from the traditional minute-to-minute real-time you know, spike graphs, aggregating that sort of information up and going, what does good look like? You know, do you look good? And I guess our product is, because it's SaaS-based and we can, we can look at a number of different data points in, a, in an anonymous way around, around the world, you're getting that validation about what the rest of the market is doing, where they're at, and you can start doing these high-level comparisons about different sectors and how they operate and what their profile looks like. So uh, very interesting time. We're getting uh, a lot of companies starting to look for that new level of intelligence that they can get out of their their technologies. And what sort of verticals are we seeing starting to embrace the analysing of, of what they have? I think all verticals. I think, as always, there's, there's the early adopter curve. And there are going to be certain sectors which want to or, or have the ability to investigate and make changes that will have large impacts. Finance, healthcare, government are typically good areas to be uh, to be looking at. They tend to have an adoption curve or a piloting curve that, that allows them to, um, to, to start exploring uh, these things at a high level. As this te- these technologies develop and they become more commoditized and uh, easier to, to access, I believe it's going to be cross-market wide and relatively quick as well. 
Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree. And there's some really surprising ones coming up as well. There was a, a one I read just recently, a case study that we've been involved with, with a, a, a large shipping company looking at the reliability of mechanical components on their ships at sea. And they come up with a quite an amazing one in a particular pump room that was responsible for keeping the overall balance of a, an oil tanker. So they, they have to pump the oil between tanks. And what they noticed was that when one of these pumps was going to fail, there was almost always an increasing temperature within the pump room. So so what they did was they put a heat sensor on every single one of the pumps in this particular compartment in the ship, and they monitored uh, real time the temperature of these pumps as they're moving the oil around. And sure enough, they were able to, able to correlate an increase in temperature on the pump happened pre to the, the pump actually failing within, you know, let's say 10 hours. So what do they do now? As soon as they see an increase in the temperature on one of these pumps, they go and change the pump before it fails. Um, that way they prevent downtime. They don't have to worry about um, being, not being able to move the oil around in the ship when they need to be able to move it around. Their maintenance engineers are not having to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning because suddenly all the alarms have gone off because the pump's failed. They can place the pump normal uh, time as part of their routine maintenance. When you, you know, And you think, well, if that's true on a ship, that must be true for every pump that moves water around our water system in the UK or moves our wastewater around or, you know, every other pump that's used for everything. It's, you know, again, you start to see the huge possibilities with this sort of stuff is, is, is amazing. Interesting. So, so in your experience, um, Gavin, what are the, the challenges of, of analysing this kind of big data? I think it almost goes back to what Bob was saying, that, you know, whether it's big pools of data or, or, or niche uh, areas of data that you're, you're looking at, the possibilities are endless in terms of, you know, joining, you know, metrics and creating KPIs and creating really usable, useful information to solve problems in a different way than maybe that we'd, you know, traditionally perceived. One of the really interesting things that I've seen maybe from a sort of an IT uh, operations management point of view is this natural traditional gap uh, between uh, maybe op operators, sysadmins and, and management. And, you know, traditionally operators, you know, potentially a little bit reactive, fixing things on the fly and, and management asking for things in the context that they would talk about. And we almost find that there's a, a lost in translation or a language barrier. Uh, they use different vocabulary in order to describe the things that they need to know. And this kind of analysis is almost forcing a, um, a coming together where maybe uh, operations teams are having to discover more about business what business means, what's the business impact, what's the business impact of the information that I'm now able to collect and, and, and how does that have an impact because if I don't have a, any particular resonance with, with what the business challenges are or what they're trying to achieve, it's always very hard for the two to, uh, to, to collaborate very well together and I, I see this with you know, the emergence of cloud and maybe some of the traditional infrastructure plays you know, now becoming maybe progressively less of a of a operating overhead for, for operations. You know, what does that mean for the role of the sysadmin? Is, is he going to turn into a knowledge guardian? Is he going to be some sort of conduit for change? Uh, uh, and, and, and how does he support that business change moving forward? That's quite a challenge because it's it, it goes against uh, all of our... Um, all of our senses in the way that we've we've developed processes over the last thirty or forty years in IT. Um, I'd be really interested in what uh, you know what, what Bob's thoughts are as well. 
No, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's this bridge, isn't there, really, that needs to be built between what the business are looking for and what IT can supply. I think there is currently a bit of a disconnect there in in a lot of businesses. The business are are looking for insights within in the data, and the and the sysadmins are the guys that are used to setting up the infrastructure and maintaining the infrastructure, not necessarily the guys that are able to help them. Um, gain access to the to the data or even in some cases to help them build the data lakes because obviously one of the one of the big issues with this is that we sort of talk, talking in general terms about being able to analyze huge amounts of data but one of the underlying technical problems is often that all of this data is in hundreds if not thousands of different formats all of which are completely incompatible with each other. So often the, the first hurdle, if you like, is to get all of this data into into one format, into one data lake, where it can actually be searched and analysed. And, and I think there's still a huge amount of work needs to be done even on that base layer before you can sort of make this data available to what's now termed the, the data scientists. So, so there's some real practical issues with this still. Yeah, I really agree, Bob. Having, having gone through this firsthand, when we were developing Sonar, we had exactly this. Uh, the basis of our, of our SaaS platform is that we, we have adapters and we, uh, we connect to various technologies and we, we, we mine that data and we bring it back centrally and we start cross-matching patterns. But there are hundreds and hundreds of technologies and they all use completely different uh, ways of of handling data in different versions and being able to normalize that data so that you've got certainty every time that you touch systems is a real challenge. And, and it's quite fascinating because even if that market grows, what I'm seeing is that every software product or every solution that, that, that looks at this looks at it from a slightly different point of view, whether it's real-time real you know, you know, wire analysis versus benchmarking KPIs. Uh, they're, all, they're all trying to solve different problems in different ways. And what I'm seeing are these, these huge analytic platforms. Um, I'm now starting to see a bit more interoperability where other platforms are now plugging into them, like uh, you know, Hitachi's got Pentaho, and I, there's, there's obviously other analytics providers that plug in that to feed that Kind of data lake and, and the obvious question comes that over time how many times are we touching these systems for the same data <laughs> so it's an excellent point i you know just go back to the example i was talking about with healthcare you just take something as not as simple as but as basic as an mri scanner and then you look at how many companies manufacture mri scanners and how many different formats the mri data is then presented in and then you start to think, well, you know, you could have two hospitals that are maybe only 50 miles apart and they're using completely different and completely incompatible systems. And then you expand that to doctor's surgeries where, you know, we've had this system in the UK where self-funding practices, they've, you know, brought in different IT systems in two practices, again, that may only be 10 miles apart. And there's no way that they can share the data between even those two practices, let alone input that data into some national system. It's, it, it, this is a, a huge underlying problem. And, and you're right, you know, companies such as ours and, and many others are now um, building data ingesters. So you can take data that's in, in different formats and put it into a, a, a compatible object type uh, system. But this, this, is, this is not easy to do. It's not a five-minute job. It's uh, it, you know it requires a lot of time, effort, and money. Agreed. I, I think it's it's an enormous challenge, and I think it'll take a, a number of years to unpick to get that common model as you're 
as you were saying. To give an example on that, we were talking to a large, uh, large industrial manufacturer, and they have already done some work on this on their on their production lines. And uh, but even they were saying that the the sensors that they have on the lines that are managed monitoring, you know, the components as they go past, the weight of the components, looking at uh, wastage in the production system. On one production line, they had four different types of sensors, all of which were producing data in completely different formats. In terms of what management are actually wanting out of this data, what sort of questions are you seeing um, needing to be answered? I guess in terms of what we're starting to explore and discover, and is you know, just sort of reiterating on, uh, on on Bob's comments, I mean, this, this is just such an enormous area. The, the context of what questions uh, are being asked to solve certain problems or the opportunity of solving problems that maybe questions haven't been traditionally asked leaves you with an enormous uh, arena to play in. I, I guess from, from, from my point of view, if I was kind of zooming up, a lot of organisations have effectively the benefit of looking internally at what they're doing and one of the challenges that we, we keep getting played back to us is what's the rest of the world doing uh, and actually that's that's kind of where we come in that's that's one of the the, the benefits of, of, of engaging an external organization like Hitachi and, and Extrovert we work with hundreds of customers we we, uh, we understand what the baseline of good looks like we understand that from a, a people process and technology point of view so when we can expand these conversations in terms of where where opportunities lie um, it normally is that we can condense that bring that to the to, to the customer and go right this is where you are this is where we think that you know that you can go and this is the path that you can take and it's that it's that confidence that uh, a company is being benchmarked um, through through some sort of external process that that makes it you know, it validates it and it makes it auditable and effectively what we're trying to do and where I think the benefit of analytics certainly in ITOA is um, is to be able to, to come in uh, with some rule sets apply those rules and do that in a, in a quick and automated way if you can do that then you can obviously allow the market to become a lot more agile and get the benefit of this sort of information as it, as it starts coming through. Very good and and Bob if, if I'm sitting here thinking I have a lot of big data in my organization I need to begin to do something useful with this. What questions should I be asking myself as I, as I start to move down that path? The starting point is often the, the tough one, I think, for a lot of organisations. Is, is So where do I start with all of this? Um, and our, our advice is always start small. Um, you know, have a, have a good objective of what you're trying to achieve. So, and I, and I guess really it depends what business segment you're in. Uh, you know, we've talked a bit about healthcare. You know, you're looking for, for patterns of data there and, and instances of diseases. If you're a bank, perhaps you're looking at, so why, why are people closing accounts with us? Is there, a, is there a, an underlying common reason that we're, we're losing business to a competitor? You know, are we doing something wrong that's upsetting the customers? And are they closing their accounts for one or two reasons that, that maybe if we understood what those reasons were, we could do something to address that? On the positive side, you know, retail banking, looking to sell individual customers more services. So they're looking at things like how we use our bank accounts. Do we ever use branches? Uh, more and more people never, you know, never set foot in a bank anymore. So they're looking at, so can we close these branches? I know it's not always popular, but actually I think when a lot of the retail banks have been looking at footfall through their, their, uh, their branches, they're saying, you know, it doesn't make cost sense anymore to keep these branches open when we're seeing 
a decrease of 20% month on month on the people that are using them. Therefore, we're better off spending our money on improving our, our apps that go on iPhones and, and all the other mobile devices we, we now use, because that's really what our customers want to uh, use as a service. You know, they, the, the better the app is, the more likely it is that they'll continue to stay with us. So it's, it's a complete, it, it's shifting, if you like, using this data to de determine where do we spend money, where do we save money, where do we invest, where, do, where don't we invest, and where do we need to improve. Thank you. And, and perhaps just moving on down that path, so as a, a bit of a wrap-up, um, where do you see the future heading in terms of, of analytics and the industries that you've mentioned? So I, I think it's, it's going to become prevalent across pretty much every business in the next two or three years. And in some organisations, it's going to happen much quicker than that. You know, if you think about the healthcare stuff, I know I've talked about that a lot, but I think that is going to have a huge impact on, on every single one of us in the next two to three years. And I think any business right now that's not seriously looking at how they're going to use the data they hold they will find themselves at a big market disadvantage against all of their competitors very, very quickly. Excellent. And Gavin, any closing comments from you in terms of the future of IT analytics? I totally agree with, uh, with, with Bob's view of the world. The, uh, the pace at, at which the technology developments are moving means that if you're not embracing the change, uh, others will be using it to competitive advantage and um, and outstrip you in, in, in using your quick time. I do I do have that, that sense of temper as well with the the, the, the complexity that is also faced by um, by handling data. But I think there are so many thousands of opportunities. Um, I think we'll see a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle. We'll see lots and lots of activity going on across a number of different areas, and then dealing with the big problems will will evolve naturally over time as as um, as, as as this becomes more understood and matures. Right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us. And in the show notes, we'll of course have contact details from both of you to um, for folks to continue the conversation. So, thanks for joining us. Many thanks. Yeah. Thank you. That brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders, and we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time.